Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing two guests on what I think is an incredibly relevant topic. Both work for Marsh and McLennan Agency, MMA, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Marsh. MMA serves the risk prevention and insurance needs of middle market companies in the United States and successfully bridges the gap between what the big firms offer and the advice, solutions, and programs that smaller businesses require. MMA is currently the ninth largest insurance broker in the United States with annualized revenues of approximately $1.2 billion. First, let me introduce Corey Yeager. Corey joined MMA in 2019 after beginning his career with a fellow global competitor. Corey's background as a professional coach and small business owner has armed him with a unique skill set and experiences that have proven valuable to his clients. And also, please welcome Travis Sarton. Travis joined MMA in 2000 as an employee benefits broker consultant. In his current role as senior vice president, he advises and consults with mid-market employers offering employee benefits coverage. Travis assists with developing strategy, carrier contract negotiations, compliance, employee advocacy and communication, enrollment solutions, and alternative healthcare funding solutions. Before coming to MMA, Travis worked at Preferred Plan of Georgia, a PPO physician hospital network provider as well as for other Athens area health plans as a sales consultant. Travis earned his Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration and is a licensed health insurance counselor. Corey and Travis, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about a topic that may not be on the top of mind for many CFOs at the moment, but probably should be given the rising costs of healthcare and medical plans in the United States. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Megan. Yes, Megan, thank you so much. Yeah, so this is my first time interviewing two guests, and I'm looking forward to getting both of your perspectives on this topic. So let's jump right in. First, Wonderful. let's talk about healthcare benefits and medical plans. Some may view this as an HR issue, but as a CFO, why do I need to be concerned about my company's medical plans? Well, I've, if you don't mind, I'll start off, Travis. I, there's a number of issues that come to mind. First being the time we're in, the economy and in, in, in the state in which it's in and the flux and the uncertainty that the future holds. Second is the fact that regardless of the economy, it's in 90% of cases, it's either the second or third line item on your budget. And having a grasp of what you're delivering, how you're delivering it, how it's being utilized, what it's forecasted to be, and how that expense is being utilized is of the utmost importance. Um, the way I see it, is an organization is selling their products and their services and and you know everything that they do in the in the market but they're also a medical provider that's their secondary business looking at it in that sense having a highly efficient delivery and delivering appropriately i think is of the utmost importance especially considering the employment market as well as the economy Travis, if you have anything to add, I'm sure. Yeah, Corey, Perhaps. you're yes, you're you're absolutely spot on. I mean, a second or third expense on a CFO's balance sheet should be something that that not only an HR issue, but but a CFO's issue. 
because of that expense associated with it. And because, Corey, as you alluded to, it is really the primary conduit for employees to receive their healthcare coverage. It is, it is absolutely a focus of a CFO. Healthcare, even in light of COVID and what we call the COVID claims cliff over April, May, June, extending into potentially July, August, and the remainder of the year with individuals who are deferring elective medical procedures, which are reducing employers' claims costs, are still you know, accumulating towards a premium, a premium that the company is exposed to, the CFO is exposed to, and healthcare continues to increase year over year. And so CFO's challenge is every year at Renewal is what does the company absorb? What do they pass along to the employee? Will this have detrimental effects with their business operations for attraction and retention of skilled labor? A CFO absolutely has to be concerned about the benefits package, the importance of the benefits package as viewed by the employees. And once again, the ever rising costs of healthcare, uh, inclusive of pharmaceuticals and the ever growing expense most definitely should be a, a CFO's concern. Yeah, like you said, a huge expense and probably the fastest growing expense. So when In it many comes, cases, I would think so. Yeah, so when it comes to the benefits my company offers, what is the first step to understanding these expenses and what are the benefits I can achieve by understanding these expenses? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Megan. And I usually refer back to a, uh, a very simple but effective exercise, which is truly benchmarking. How do my benefits package offered through or at my employer, how does that serve, how does that serve my workforce? And so stepping back in an easy uh, exercise of benchmarking my company's benefits in many different attributes is something which is a very standard starting point. Benchmarking should include my industry um, because obviously different industries drive different benefit packages. White collar, gray collar, blue collar, each have their own individualized attributes that companies should understand or how do I benchmark related to my competitive peer groups? I mentioned earlier about attraction and retention of skilled labor. We, before COVID, were at the lowest unemployment rates we've ever seen in this country. And the talent pool was in a shortage. And many employers were evaluating or should be evaluating their benefits package as we come out of uh, this unforeseen pandemic, but with a benefit package prepared to look very appealing to this workforce that we are, we're going to try to either retain or attract back to uh, an employment status. Ge you know, other factors that going into, go into benchmarking is geographic locations. In each part of the country, there's prevalence in benefit packages. East Coast with union representation driving a different and required benefit package to west coast where we still see prevalence of hmo style programs such as kaiser permanente 
northern Midwest that drives different benefits versus the southwest or south region. All of these particular factors should go into benchmarking. And if you're a multi-state employer, the benchmarking could not be more important to your strategic business decisions on making sure that as you are, um, you know, you may be sightest in the South, but if you're trying to attract and retain employees in the, in, uh, in the East Coast or West Coast, that your benefit package needs to be very attractive and competitive to the employers operating in those areas, even though, you know, your, your corporate situs may be um, located somewhere else. Understanding the employer contribution versus employee contribution and the balance of a specific areas of, um, of compensation relative to what a benefit package costs and balancing what the employer can uh, budget and the employee can afford out of their paycheck and hourly wage. All of that really deduces itself into, you know, maintaining a pulse check for, you know, for an employer on, on, on the relevance of attraction and retention of that skilled labor that I've, I've mentioned before that obviously a, a, a company needs to have as a, to operate and CFOs need to uh, uh, pay attention to because of, of, uh, of budgets and salaries. And so, you know, really starting with uh, the, the benchmarking aspect is a very simple area for a CFO to understand uh, how their benefits package calibrates in the, in the open market based upon all those different factors. Corey, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have, yep. you, have you chime in as well. Not one, no, it's, that's, a, uh, that's a great synopsis, Travis. One thing that I might include in that conversation is demographics and, and moving that into the competitiveness conversations, ensuring that when you have, that you're, that you're addressing the fact that we have a multi, multi-generational workforce and that you're creating offerings that are going to be attractive to all different generations and meet them where they are in their employee life cycle, so to speak. For instance, there was a study done, I believe, two years ago, where uh, employees in their 20s were asked, would they rather have more medical benefits or would they rather have more retirement financial advice? Overwhelmingly chose more retirement financial advice. And in most cases, they're going to pick the, the lower cost, high deductible plan that's going to be applicable to what they are in their life. So knowing what your demographics need and want, I think is also a, a huge, huge factor when designing a plan. It seems like a nuanced process. Is, is the benchmarking something most companies undertake on their own? Or is it something, you know, you'd suggest reaching out to a third party for help with? A great question, Megan. And and as a matter of fact, typically a an employer is either seeking benchmark information and should be seeking benchmark information through their through their trusted advisor, their their benefits broker, their benefits consultant. Being part of the Marsh family, we run one of the largest employee benefits surveys in the entire country. So we are absolutely a trusted source for our clients and prospective clients for the benchmarking exercise and know that we're delivering extremely valid and relevant and updated information to those employers. Because what we have found is, is that 
typically an executive asks for a benchmarking marking project to HR. HR may be going to one of their human resource industry groups. We find that uh, survey data is, is outdated, it's stale, potentially is not or does not contain the, the type of updated information that's relevant for today's environment. And so, you know, they're, they're really behind the ball working on uh, with old data or just Googling, you know, for information, which once again can be extremely outdated, invalid, misleading, and once again, valid benchmarking information is, is just really germane to making strategic business decisions from HR to the C-suite. So that's a great segue to this next question. So we've all heard about the importance of being data-driven. How can we be applying data to make better decisions about our company's medical plans? Data-driven, what a, that's a significant buzzword in, a, in our industry right now from Corey and I's perspective. We have been data-driven for, uh, or before, before data-driven was a, was a cool buzzword. Uh, <laughs> But that being said, um, being data-driven is, is absolutely a, a requirement as being a strategic business consultant or advisor for our clients. Reviewing data is not just 12 months at a time. Being data-driven really is evaluating the performance of your benefits, your health plan every month. We effectively work with our clientele to deliver financial monitoring progress. On a month-by-month -month basis, are they under budget? Are they at budget? Or are they over budget related to the benefits spent? Observing underlying trends. Within an employer's benefit package, we are, um, we are assisting with, uh, are we trending our budget due to recruitment and adding positions? Are we reducing positions? Are we in acquisition and merger mode? All of these daily business decisions from an employer's operations has a direct correlation to the underlying benefits spend. And it's not static. CFOs do need to you know, understand that, that their operations are not static. Their benefits package swells and decreases in expense related to every decision that's made with their organization. You know, we focus a tremendous amount with employers and their health plans on their employees' health. We identify disease states. You know, do we have a population that is showing signs of prediabetes? Mm -hmm. Our new ticking time bomb is hypertension. Each of these particular diseases manifests itself in a disease that if you catch and you can manage it early, expenses are manageable. If, if these particular medical conditions go untreated and unmanaged, they are typically five to six times the average, average price of a managed diabetic or someone who uh, can manage their hypertension. And so we work closely with our data to identify trends, to quickly address and swim and be nimble with these uh, with solutions that can curb these trends before they become catastrophic in nature. 
And so we, we do this by negotiating with each of our major carrier partners. We receive monthly claims feeds. Those claims feeds goes directly into our data analytics systems. From there, we also take and manage those who are taking by our, those who are accessing biometrics or primary, primary care physician office visits for their wellness, for their well man, well woman, or well child exams. Um, and ultimately we are, we are um, synthesizing that information and boiling it down into impactful, purposeful information that can be used at the CFO, C-suite level, HR level, that will help us continuously manage a, an employer's health plan throughout the year and not just at renewal, which is what we commonly find in the marketplace talking to prospective customers. Corey, I'm not sure if I left anything for you to add there. Not really. I just wanted to share the, the importance of having programs in place or data and analytics resources in place to identify those uh, clinical cost drivers on those conditions and putting the programs in place that can mitigate the cost. Uh, that's when you're going to find your ROI and, and, and your, your return on investment. However, it's not going to necessarily be realized, but having tools to mitigate and um, get it on the forefront is of the utmost importance in, in doing that. And I'm sure at times like this that are unprecedented, having access to the most recent data is critical. Oh, absolutely. So how do pharmaceuticals fit into this equation and how can a company decrease these specific costs? Pharmaceuticals, we like to call it the world of smoke and mirrors. <laughs> employers, uh, employers really need to be focused in the area of pharmacy. I'll give you a couple perspectives. Prior to about two years ago, we, we, we have been managing our, our pharmaceutical block of business with our customers and, and really trying to understand the inflationary trend of which in an employer's health plan, pharmaceuticals used to make up usually around 12 to 14% of their overall healthcare spend. Within the recent uh, 24 months, we have witnessed and observed pharmacy becoming quickly 24 to 26% of their overall healthcare spend. So as, as you can imagine, that's significant of an increase in expense directly associated with pharmacology is absolutely a train leaving the tracks without any breaks. We have been um, observing biologics, biosimilars. These are specifically formulated medications that are driving a significant cost in the specialty pharmacy area. For example, hepatitis C, so we've, we've heard of Harvoni. This is a absolute cure for someone who has been living with hepatitis C. It has a 93.8% cure rate. But what, um, what is not directly relayed to the end user or to really us as the consumer is, is that each administration of Harvoni is $30,000 a month. Wow typical administration of Harvoni is a, a minimum of two treatments and maximum of four. And so you're looking at on a minimum basis, your health plan just related directly to this hepatitis C treatment 
$60,000 all the way up to $120,000. Now, the bright and shining star of this is, is that you have a member that if they respond appropriately to the treatment, they will be cured within a 12-month period of time, and that, that claimant should not have any ongoing treatment. But you know, this is just one of the medications that has hit the market. FDA currently has 900 new medications in approval status that are set to be released. Each of these medications come with a significant price tag. As a matter of fact, just another, another astonishing note, hemophilia, which has been a significant cost driver in the pharmaceutical space. We now have our first million dollar drug that has hit the, uh, or that is about to hit the, uh, the marketplace. Wow. Um, how are we attacking this? Well, Marshall McLennan Agency is the largest private purchaser of pharmaceuticals in the country. We are working with our customers with three of the largest pharmacy benefit managers um, operating in the country to leverage their volume of drugs and, and, then, and then putting in place certain protocols as such as um, secondary prescription treatment appropriateness. Once again, um, doctors are, are trying to treat their patients appropriately. That medical care, you would think it would be appropriate, but there are times in which the physicians will prescribe drugs that may not actually be appropriate for the condition that their patient has. So that could be a waste of medication. We're seeing smaller prescription pills. And what I mean by that is, is that if someone's taking a specialty medication or a high cost medication, to make sure that this member, it may be the first time that they're taking it, they may fill, fill that drug for 15 days versus the standard 30 days. Why is this? It's to make sure that the patient doesn't have adverse reactions to the medications. As you can imagine, if, some, if a doctor wrote a 30-day prescription, the member took it for two weeks, had adverse reactions to that medication, ultimately it's going to uh, go in the trash can or go down the toilet, and you have now seen a very realistic example of waste in, uh, in the pharmaceutical space. We ourselves have trained our clientele and our prospective clients that no longer do you want to uh, try to negotiate a two or three year pharmacy contract because of the aggressive rate of pricing in the pharmaceutical space. We recommend no longer than a 12 month contract. And as we are running through that contract, we are improving the unit costs per prescription. We are as well evaluating pharmaceutical rebates or manufacturer rebates, making sure that those are transparent and passed through back to our customers. And then we are going back and we are performing an audit to make sure that based upon the contractual terms and what our clients have agreed to, that those have been met. And if those audits produce a different result, then we will go and, and make sure that we capture the dollars with either unit cost, negotiated unit costs or pharmacy rebates and make sure that our client gets exactly what the uh, contract stated that they should receive. So we're, we're extremely aggressive and postured as an organization to work on our behalf of our clients to to really aggressively drive down the cost of, of, of these pharmaceutical drugs, which once again are just increasing in cost. 
and we had our we've had our first million dollar drug or we'll have our first million dollar drug hit the marketplace and you can only imagine that insurance carriers will not be able to price appropriately these initial you know million dollar drugs when they start to hit an employer's health plan and so um, you have to take more of an aggressive step in action with your employers to help them prepare for this uh, unforeseen storm that's about ready to hit. Absolutely. And if I could just piggyback on to what Travis was uh, stating, he's, he's the known uh, pharmacy expert in, in, in my world anyway. Back to the, the specialty drugs, being that specialty drugs are about 1% of claims. They make up about 1% of claims. They also make up 45% of cost. So wow. when, you're, when, you, when you're seeing stop-loss providers starting to exclude those specialty drugs from the coverage, having a appropriate contract review and negotiation is, again, of, of the utmost importance. So how do we balance the value we achieve with these plans versus the costs that are associated with them? Well, we've, we've addressed, through our conversation, we've addressed a few of these attributes, but it's always good to to really kind of close the loop on these, which yeah. is, you know, really understanding the return on investment with the benefit package that you offer your employees. As Corey alluded to, we, you know, really understanding the, the value or perception of value of the benefits package that you're spending a tremendous amount of money on from the CFO's perspective, from the company's perspective, is truly it showing up in employee survey satisfactions? Are you an employer of choice related to your ability to retain, attract new talent? If, you know, we, we mentioned this earlier, but, you know, balancing value and cost, if your organization has not benchmarked itself against the factors that I, I mentioned earlier, which is industry, competitive peer groups, geographical regions, your employer-employee contributions, all of those factors help you calibrate your relevance with balancing value and cost. Understanding that we are now moving into a multi-generational workforce, which Corey mentioned, you know, baby boomers are shifting out and retiring. We now have uh, Generation X, you know, that is bridging gaps between boomers and the newer generations. We have generations Y. We are soon to have Generation Z. Each of these particular generations have unique attributes as what, what appeals to them. And an employer specifically needs to evaluate their benefits program to make sure that it is appealing to each of these unique generations or you're going to find yourself in a quandary because you're you're just going to find yourself a void in one of these particular in one of these particular generations. Absolutely, Travis. And just to piggyback on what Travis was referring to uh, with the multi generational workforce, one thing that I find to be extremely important is how your program is communicated. Uh, Travis mentioned perceived value. I personally call it the employee value proposition. Is your employee prop value proposition communicated in the manner in which your generations that are in your workforce appeal to or, or they're drawn to, whether it's email, video, text message, apps, uh, applications on the phone, you name, there's, there's, a, there's a slew of different avenues in which you can, 
which you can communicate, having a program that is going to fit your workforce can be extremely impactful on utilization uptake, as well as, uh, again, the value they perceive and they get from and the knowledge they have of their benefits. Yeah. So, so know your employees and what's important to them as far as benefits. Absolutely. So how often should we be reviewing our benefit options and expenses? I know we've touched on this a bit, but it should it be a quarterly exercise annual. How often should this be occurring? <laughs> um, well, you know, in, uh, in light of COVID and because it, feel, it feels like every aspect of an employer's operation is, is under review right now, as we are just trying to navigate these um, uncertain waters, the benefits package is, is, is the same, which is, is that, you know, typically we hear that, you know, we haven't reviewed our benefit options or, or, we, or we don't have access to the data for, to review our expenses. But the truth is, is that a CFO should be evaluating the overall options and expenses related to the, to the other areas that we've discussed uh, on this podcast but they really should be looking at these monthly. We work quarterly on mid-year or semi-annually. And then we also formulate for many of our customers a 12, 24, and 36-month strategy. And we're constantly reviewing each aspect of the health plan, under budget, at budget, over budget, taking into account the uh, the benchmarking, the the attraction, retention, um, and really trying to, once again, formulate impactful information that a CFO may use with his leadership team and improve the direction of the organization for whatever that may, may look like at that particular time. Access, you know, we've talked about big data or being data-driven. The resources available are vast. It is really aligning your organization with the practitioner or the firm that has the resources, who use the resources, and who can execute the resources to the betterment of your organization. And how frequently is that? Once again, I think it, I think it's at least monthly, hopefully quarterly. But then, you know, it's always dependent upon where you meet your client. Every day we meet our clients in different places within their organizations uh, with their workload, their strate strategic initiatives, and we want to cater to them. But a CFO should be looking at this quite frequently given the times we live in and the un unknown times that are in our relative near future. Definitely some great advice there. And this is something we may have also touched on. But lastly, what other tools and resources are available to CFOs who want to better manage these costs? Well, Corey, uh, with his pause, I know he's going to let me go first. I seem to be the <laughs> long wind. I'm, I'm, I'm the one long in the tooth on this one. Uh, but specifically, you know, C CFOs really do have resources available to them that, that either they're, they're not aware of or potentially their business advisor does not how to doesn't know how to adequately resource or execute upon but those resources actuarial teams we use our internal actuaries all the time for the previously stated purposes 
but I will also tell you our actuaries assist us with keeping the insurance companies honest. We do pre-renewal, we do post-renewal budgetary projections, we do mid-year projections, we're constantly monitoring through financial monitoring reports uh, that are available. I mean, actuaries are the backbone of a great broker, consultant, and, and truly it, it assists our clients with overcoming this unknown conversation between the insurance company that is, it, that is trying to protect its own profit and loss center and the context of how they say that they price a health plan or deliver their renewal for a health plan. You know, our actuaries assist us with keeping that conversation um, levelized as much as possible. And then from there, you know, from a CFO's perspective, you know, the other, uh, the other tools and resources to help ba better manage these costs would be that we are just seeing so many innovative companies enter in to the marketplace that are aggressively attacking diabetes, hypertension. Corey mentioned communication. Communication is extremely advantageous for an organization to have perceived value in the benefits that are being offered. So there are countless resources that a CFO has access to. They really need to have a transparent and deep conversation with their broker or advisor on what they bring to the table that assists them with monitoring, managing, negotiating. We talked about healthcare. We've talked about pharmaceuticals. The resources are out there, but a savvy CFO needs to be able to challenge their broker or consultant to make sure that they are adequately suited to assist that CFO through the next 12, 24, and 36 month challenges. If not, they need to, they need to, they need to seek out um, sophisticated brokers that can offer those types of services and resources to them. Took the words right out of my mouth, Travis. So always be challenging, ABC. I like that, Megan. I, you know, it's usually always be closing, but we'll take uh, always be challenging. Yep. Corey and Travis, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Megan. It's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Megan, thank you. Thank you so much. We, we really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to speak with you today. Yeah, I've really enjoyed hearing your perspectives on medical plan costs and how we can make better decisions and the benefits of those better decisions. To all of our listeners today, I hope you have enjoyed today's discussion as well, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a great week. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.